Well, I'd like to welcome you again to Fellowship Renew Church this morning. I'm so glad you all are here with us. I wonder if I were to say something, if you would know what to say in reply. You ready? He is risen. There you go. Do you want to try again because you didn't know? He is risen. There you go. That is why we're gathered, is it not? Because we serve a risen Lord and not a dead one. You know, it's what makes us quite unique from all other religions. We serve a living God. We serve a a living Savior. He is the true God, the one and only God. And we're looking at his word this morning. As a church, we've been uh, walking all week through Mark's gospel and his presentation of the final week of Jesus' life. And so on Monday, we as a church looked at what happened on Monday of this last week, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And we had times of prayer reflecting on those particular days of the week and what happened. And then we had Friday. We had a good Friday service this past Friday evening, and we walked through the entire day of Friday, starting at midnight Friday night, and we looked at three-hour blocks of time as we walked through that night together. And then the night ended as Jesus was dead on a cross. And then yesterday, Thursday, was a day of rest as our Lord was in the grave. And then Sunday, what did I say? Saturday, Saturday, not Thursday, you know what I meant. Saturday, I don't know why Thursday was on the mind. Saturday, we rested, and uh, as Jesus rested in the grave, and today is Sunday, and we celebrate together the resurrection of our Lord. As a church, we've been walking through First uh, John together week by week, looking at each word, each verse, and uh, I had shared with some others this morning that I had considered changing course for this Sunday to preach an Easter sermon, Uh, but I'm not doing that uh, because I don't need to deviate from the word in order to preach an Easter sermon because, in fact, we should be looking at the resurrection and its effects on us every time we gather. But in particular, our text actually will say, and this is the reason he appeared. It actually answers the very question at the core of why Everyone is gathered at churches this morning. There's so many people. Think about it. All your friends and family, you have many people who you know are gathered at church worship services this morning, right? Why? What makes today special? Well, it's about the resurrected Lord. Why did Jesus come to earth to die on a cross and then be raised from the dead? What is the purpose of it all? John tells us here in our text this morning. And so, we have arrived at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and that's where we'll pick up this morning. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, the reason that Christ appeared and John is about to tell us. We're going to take these first several verses as individual verses, and then as we get uh, about halfway through, we're going to take a block of text and look at it. But as we begin, let's just look at verse 1, okay? 1 John chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. C. What kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Pretty amazing, even as we begin. 
See what kind, that's in the imperative, by the way. Look at it. See it. An invitation to us to look at what the Father has done for us in His great love. I've talked before on how difficult it is sometimes to express our love to other people. You know that it is, right? It's difficult sometimes to express your love. And the way you go about expressing your love is that person doesn't feel loved by what you just did. In fact, they feel frustrated or angry or irritated by what you just did. But my intention was to love you. I'm sorry that it didn't work out that way. But here we have a perfect expression of the Father's love that we can see clearly. See it. Look at it. An invitation for us all, for the whole world to look at how deeply the Father has loved us. And what is it? See what kind of love the Father has given to us. And what is this expression of love? That we should be called children of God. How is that an expression of God's love? Aren't we all children of God anyway? How is that an expression of his love? I want to paint a picture for you this morning of two families. I, I wonder even as I describe it, if you could consider which of these two families, your family, uh, it would best describe. Family number one. Family number one is marked by absolute imperfection. Nothing, it seems, but disunity and discontentment. Here are some of the family characteristics, some of the family traits. Because you know, you take on the characteristic traits of your family. You know you do. It it spreads. Here are some of these family characteristics. The family's angry. They're boastful people. Proud, unloving, arrogant, lazy, liars, and thieves. That's just what we do. They have nothing, and they live their lives in constant conflict and sorrow. What a family. They're a family inheritance, though. Immeasurable debt. That's the family inheritance. That's family number one. Seems a bit gloomy. Here's family number two. Absolute perfection. Nothing but unity and contentment. Does that sound like your family? Here are some of the family characteristics. Joy, wisdom, humility, prudence, honesty, love, trustworthiness. They have everything, and they live their lives in constant peace and joy. Absolute contentment. And the family inheritance, by the way, immeasurable riches. A few key points that I hope you take away this morning begins with this. Because of the fall and inherited guilt, all humanity is born outside the family of God. In other words, we all belong to family number one. All of us by default, belong to that first crazy family. Why are we painting a picture of two families? Because this is what John is painting for us this morning, is that there are two families and there are only two, and each and every one of us belongs to one of two families. 
by nature, we all are born into family number one, and you know it. You remember living as part of this family, don't you? Maybe you still live there. What does John tell us back in his gospel? John 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So what does this tell us? John has told us in his gospel. For all who believe on Jesus Christ, you are born again. And when you are born again, you are born, guess what? Here's the good news. Into a new family. What family are you born into? That second, perfect, unbelievable family where there is immeasurable riches for us to inherit. That's the family that you are born into. But it is only those who believe on Jesus Christ that are born again into that family. If not, you remain in that wicked, wretched, miserable family that you were born into. You remain. And so when you die, there is only debt to inherit, and with that debt comes the wrath of God. Paul says it this way. In Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, why does it say sons? Well, because in the ancient world, sons are the ones that receive the inheritance. And so he wants us to understand you have a rightful place in the family as one who gets the inheritance because you've been adopted into the family and you are a proper member of that family now and all the rights and benefits of being in that family are yours, yours. And so we can summarize by saying this, is that the believer is adopted into the family of God. How? How does, how does this take place? Well, by, by means of the father's love and the son's sacrifice and the Spirit's regeneration. This is how it happens. I'm going to read for you out of Titus 3. If you have your Bible, turn there quickly with me. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Because all that's being said right here in this little summary, you're going to be able to find in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Remember what we're looking at here. John just told us, look, perceive at how much the Father loves you and it's displayed in this way, that he has adopted you into his family as a child of God. You need to see how much of an act of love this is. And how does it happen? I, I have not personally gone through the process of adoption. I know some of you in the room have. And I've heard how much of a process this is. And how intentional you have to be and how much it costs you. Let me tell you, there was great cost in your adoption into the family of God. But why couldn't God just take those people that he saw that was in that miserable condition, in that miserable family, why couldn't he just take us out of that and just do it? Why, why all the mess with Jesus? Let's look at what it says here. It's Paul's words in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, 
led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. Stop. Why? Because that's the family we belong to. Everybody hated each other. That, that's how we lived. Everybody just hates each other, and we passed our days, what? In envy, malice, strife. We were all slaves to various passions and pleasures, and that's how we lived. That was life. Do you know that when you grow up in your home and that's all you know, that's what the world is to you, right? I didn't know what a loving father looked like who cared for me and wanted to talk to me and train me, raise me. What I knew was just what I knew. But do you know that there's a heavenly father who cares for you, loves you, wants to train you, discipline you? but also to just lavish on you all of his love. He wants to love you. Do you know there's a father like that? You may not have had one in your home, but let me tell you, there is a father like that. So here we were in our miserable, wretched family, spiritually, and then what happened? But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. He took us out of that mess. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Here's how. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, you can't be an heir of the Father without being what? A child. We are sons of God and we have received that great inheritance and it is far better than even what you think. See how great the love of God is for you that he would send his son to take on the penalty that you deserve for your sin he died in your place, but he didn't stay dead because the full wrath of God was absorbed in him. And he wasn't just a man. He was a man and God. And so you can't kill God. He raised up from the dead, proving that the wrath of God was satisfied. And so he raised from the dead. And this, in this, we have our justification. Because if he stayed dead, there was more wrath of God to pay, obviously. But the Son of God absorbed it all. How do you get that? Jesus Christ did it. Does that mean all humanity then is adopted into the family of God by default now? No. One must have faith in Christ and then by faith you are adopted into the family of God. That's how it works. Because of what God accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross, you by faith in him and his work are adopted into the family of God. But without faith, you remain in that poor, miserable, wretched, spiritual condition and you will die in that condition. This is the Easter story. This is why the Savior appeared. This is why he came to earth. So that you would not die in that condition. See what kind of love the Father has for you that he did this for you, that you might become a child of God. See it. Look at it. Consider it. Reflect upon it. The reason why the world does not know us is because it doesn't know him. 
because we resemble our fathers so much that when the world looks at us and we don't look anything like them, they don't know anything about who we are. We, they don't get our way of life. They don't get anything about you. You're foreign. I can remember uh, being, I don't know, early, early teens. You all know I don't know how to remember anything about my past, but I do remember this situation. I was there at some point in my life as a young kid at someone else's house. First time I ever left the house. And we, we lived right next door to um, a family who the parents were straight from Mexico. Uh, but they had a son who was about my age. And I went over there to, to stay the night. They talked different than me. They looked different than me. Their food smelled way different than our food. Everything about everything they did was very, 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 very different than me. And I did not get it. They don't get you. You are so different from the world, they don't know you because you belong to a different family. Does that make sense? Or could it be that the world does know you? How do they know you so well? Because you still are part of their family. There should be such a distinction between how we live and how they live that they don't even get us. They don't even know you. They don't get you. That's how it should be almost like we're foreigners. How does this have relevance for John's audience? You remember, a bunch of people just left the church. And he's saying to them, here's why, they don't get you. You see, they don't, they don't get anything about you. They think God is like this. They left. And the reason they left is because they never knew the Father to begin with, and that's what he told us last time, isn't it? So beware of their deception. Look at verse two with me. Beloved, we are God's children now, today. You are a beloved child of God. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he does appear, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So for all those who have faith in Christ, you've already been adopted into God's family. It's not something you have to wait for. It's already yours. You already are a beloved child of God if you have faith in Christ. And here's the thing about your daily life, about the rest of your life, is that you are constantly, ever changing to better reflect your father. And your father is a good father, someone that you should emulate, someone that you should look like. In fact, that's what he wants for you. In fact, that's what he's doing for you. But even then, what we will be you will never see here. There's something yet to come. See, we are God's children now, and yes, we are changing to look more like the Father, true, but what we will be hasn't appeared yet for any of us. You see, there's a better reality even yet to come where you will be further transformed. And we're looking forward to that day. I want to read for you out of 2 Corinthians 5, just a couple of verses. This is beginning in verse 1. It says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Which, which do you want to live in, by the way? The tent or the building? I went tent camping here a while back with three young children. I want a building. 
Yes, with walls, insulated walls. But here's what Paul tells us about our body is it's like a tent. You see, the real thing is yet to come. It's a building from God, not a, and, and it's a house not made with hands, though. It's eternal. It's in the heavens. You see, you can't lay hold of that thing yet. But in this tent, in this body, right here, right now, even though we're children of God, we, we groan and we're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We're longing for something greater that we might be further transformed, that this body might be put away. I know many of you want to put it away already. Let's put away this body. Let me be further clothed with that eternal dwelling of God. That's what I want. But it is coming. It's coming for all who have faith in Christ, all who are the children of God. That's coming. You will be transformed. It is yours already. Remember that you're his child and that there is an inheritance for you. It's coming. It's yours already. Understand that it's yours. But really, the great comparison here is between where the dwelling place of God used to be. It was at one time in a tent, right? And then God had them build a building. And so there was something that was not permanent, but it, it traveled and it, it one day went away. But yet there is a building from God. And this is kind of the imagery that he's placing here for us is that one day we will have something permanent from God. And it is not something made by human hands. It's made by God himself, eternal in the heavens. That's where all of us will be one day, all those who have faith in Christ. Are you looking forward to that day? This is the Easter story. You see, if all you have, as Jimmy said earlier, is hope in this life, why? It's like you're dressing up your tent. That tent, you can't change it to not be a tent. It's going to be a tent forever, and a storm is going to come and blow it away, and that's all there was to the tent. doesn't matter how you dress it up, how many lights you put on it. It's a tent. What we want is the thing that's eternal and permanent, and that doesn't come in this life. It comes in the next. That perspective is what we need when we consider Easter morning. Jesus made a way for us to have eternal life with him forever. By adopting us as his children, God has made a way. And so here's what we can say, believers. We are currently being transformed by the spirit of God to better reflect our new identity. Our new identity in the household of God. So, but one day, when we see the Lord face to face, we'll be changed entirely. So we're being changed now, yes, transformed. That's true. We are being transformed to look like our father, to look like our new family. True. And by the way, God's intention, plan for that, is the local church. You cannot separate being transformed into the family by saying it's a me and God thing only. But God has designed a way for you. And that way, that means by which he is sanctifying you and bringing you into conformity to his image in the household of God is by means of the household of God, which is the local church. That's why we're gathered as his people and why we will not forsake the gathering. Right? For now, Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then one day face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 
See, we see in part now. We're being transformed in part now. We see in full later. We're transformed in full later. That makes sense, doesn't it? Let's look at verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So now we're getting into it. The Easter story continues to unfold. How much more is there? Yes, we've made a way as adoption, as children of God. And yes, there is a future inheritance for us where we'll all be changed. True, all that's true. But here's the current reality for us. Here and now in the tent. Everyone who is hoping for that future reality does something. And they will not forsake it. They will not deny this one essential core truth of being a child of God. And that is this. If you have hope for the future, you are doing something now. And what is that now? That you are purifying yourself. It proves that you have a future hope where you will be made completely pure in his presence. Tell me, would this future hope of yours, of the coming of Christ, does it create in you a desire for now, for today, to purify yourself as he is pure. Everyone who hopes in him, everyone who thus hopes in him, that is, hoping for that eternity, is doing something about it today. Are you doing something about your salvation today? One day, we will be completely changed to purely reflect the fact that we are partakers of the divine nature by means of adoption into the family of God. Partakers of the divine nature. Yeah, that's how Paul explains it to us. You do have the Spirit of God in you, right? You are being transformed to look like your heavenly Father who is God, right? And so therefore you are partakers of the divine nature. It does not make you divine, as Scripture says, but it makes you a partaker of the divine nature. You are becoming like your Father. Can you feel that transformation taking place in you today? Do you remember that Jesus said, you must take up your cross and follow me? You see, we can't have the great, wonderful celebration of Easter without reflecting on the fact of the great tragedy that preceded it. And with that great tragedy of death of Jesus Christ on the cross also must come your own personal crucifixion. You are considered dead to your former way of life and alive to God, do you feel the effects of putting yourself to death? Let's look at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. Uh, uh, let me say it this way. Uh, I, I kind of have two, two perspectives on this. So there's those who live their lives with utter disregard for the law of God. And then there's a different category of person who lives their lives with regards for God law, God's law, but not perfectly. Tell me, which would you like to be part of? Well, I want to be part of the one that's not there. I want to be part of the one that says, I'm one who lives with regards for God law, God's law and I keep it perfectly. Here's the thing, you can't. But we have the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who did keep it perfectly. And all his righteousness has been credited to your account. You're not earning God's righteousness. That's why you don't need to be perfect. If you've ever been part of a church 
or people who tell you that you must be perfect, they are wrong. You do not need to be perfect. If you did, Easter is meaningless. You don't need a Savior if you can be perfect in yourself. The reason we must have a Savior is because we can't be perfect. So, there's two categories here. Those who live their lives with other disregard for the law of God. That's lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Utter disregard. That's the former family that we all once belonged to. Disregard for the things of God. But now you've been pulled out of that. You've been adopted. You've been taken out of that family. You've been put in the family of God. And in the family of God, we take the law of God very seriously and we conform our lives to it. So here's the tension, right? I've been taken out of my family. That's all I ever knew was disregard for God. But now I'm put in a context where we have absolute regard for God. I don't know how to live in that world. And thank God that Jesus Christ, after he was resurrected, seated at the right hand of God, sent us something. He sent us the very spirit of God to live in us that we might have the ability by his ability to live, to be shaped by the gospel itself. You see, it's not even your power within you that transforms you. It's the spirit of God that's transforming you. And you would not have that without Easter Sunday. Without a resurrected Savior seated at the right hand of the Father, you would not have the Spirit of God in you. But Jesus Christ ascended to the Father and sent the Spirit for all those who have faith in his name. Let's look at verse 5. And then we're going to take verses 6 through 9 together. Verse 5 says, here it is. You know, you know why he appeared, right? Like You know why he came, right? Here's why he came to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Stop right there. That's a good uh, refrigerator magnet. That's something that you should always keep before you in your heart and your mind. Why did Jesus Christ come? To take away sins. Wait a minute. He came to take away sins. So if he took away all sin... I can live however I want because he, he is not looking at my sin anymore. Oh, well, that's one way to view it. In Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, here's what it says. He was pierced for what? Our transgressions. What's another word for transgressions? Sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. What's another word for iniquities? Sin. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us. You know that word, right? I mean, it's really important that you know that word. That's the reason it all happened. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Without the wrath of God being satisfied in the Son, you have no peace. And with his wounds, you are healed. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We live in that other family disregard for the law of God. Every one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord laid on him, that is Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. His son, his obedient son, took the penalty for the disobedient ones. This is the Easter story. 
This is the Easter story. How does he take away sins? Well, in two ways. Jesus takes away, the sin, takes away our sins by means of taking away the penalty for your sin. If Jesus came to take away sins, but yet you still sin, then he must not have been very good at it. Well, maybe he means something different. If Jesus came to take away sins, maybe it means, and it does, that he came to take away the penalties for your sins, and then also that he came to bring about the purification of sin, should say sinners, by the Spirit. So here's another way that he does away with sin. He's killing the sin in you and purifying you if you are a child of God. If you are a child of God, he will not let you be. Here it is. One day, I hope to be in a position where I can give good advice on parenting. But here's something I know. Our children are in a desperate situation. We do not let them be. Our children are going the wrong way. We don't let them be. When our children are in sin, we don't let them be. When they're doing something that is eroding their life as we know it, being disobedient to the Lord, we don't let them be. But we come to their aid and we help them and we teach them and we love them. That's how we love them. That's how we love them. We don't let them be. God is not letting you be as his child, but no, he's training you. He is purifying you of sin. Why? Because he loves you. And that's how a father loves. I want to learn that better. I want to learn better from my heavenly father how to be a good father to my children. That's how you love. Going out of your way, sacrificing yourself for the sake of your children. He's doing that for you as his beloved children. He loves you. And because he loves you, he is not allowing you to remain in your sin. He's purifying you. Do you feel the pains of that purification as part of your very self is being put to death? It is the Easter story. I would say the reality of the Easter story is a recognition of the human's condition, of humanity's condition before God. That's what it is. Now let's take verses 6 through 9 together. No one, notice by the way, this is a statement of reality. It's already true. It's, you can't undo the truth that we're about to read. It is true. It is a matter of fact true. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. It's a matter of fact. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him, little children. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. We know that story. 
The reason the Son of God appeared, here it is again. The reason the Son of God appeared is why? To destroy the works of the devil, which is the practice of sinning. He already explained that to us. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Do you hear how matter-of-fact this is? It's not like, oh, it'd be a really good idea, you know, as a child of God, it'd be a good idea if you just stopped sinning. It'd be like, I would really appreciate it if you would start to try to be more righteous. If you don't, I mean, who am I to say anything? But it would be a good idea if you just tried to be more godly, please, would you? Is that how it's presented? It's a matter of fact. It's helping us determine who are the children of God and who are not. Isn't that John's goal? Those of you who have been here, isn't that John's goal? Who are the children of God and who are not the children of God? That's what he wants us to know. And it might be odd that on a Sunday morning, we're making a distinction here on Easter Sunday. That the emphasis is to determine who are the children of God and who are not the children of God. But that's the Easter story. Who are the children of God? Well, they look like this. The children of God and the children of Satan cannot help but look like their fathers. Listen, I can't help it. I look a little bit like my dad. Nothing I can do about it. But I also look a little bit like my mom. And then I also look a little bit like me, whatever that is. I can't help how I look, guys. I, I try. I try to clean myself up for you, okay? So that it's not too bad. I can't change how I look. I look how I look. Internally, you reflect the character traits of your father. If you are a child of Satan, I know that's strong language, but that's the language of Scripture. If you were a child of Satan, you're going to look like him. You can't do anything about it. You're going to look like him. Now, the same is true, though, if you're a child of God. That's great news for you because you're going from looking real ugly to looking real good. Isn't that true? I don't want to look like Satan. I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. Here's the problem. I kind of look like him, though, a little bit. I still kind of do. I still have some of that ugliness remaining on me that the Lord is purifying to look like him. That's how I know that I'm a child of God. It's because he's making me look like him. That's wonderful news for us. He is making us look like him. Satan has been sinning from the beginning. I mean, that's who he is. That's his character. He loves to deceive, and so do his children. He loves to lie, and so do his children. They like to do everything that he likes to do. He just, he's, he's the big one. He does it all the best. He does all the bad stuff the best. They're just trying to be like him, living up to their dad. And isn't that true? Whether you have a dad with good traits or bad traits, you tend to kind of do what he did unless you're transformed, right? Unless you're transformed. But listen to what Paul says quickly here 
And we're going to go to our last verse for the morning. But 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15 says this. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so it's no surprise to us that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, but their end will correspond to their deeds. It is possible for some to pick up a disguise that looks somewhat like God. But do not be deceived. Do not be deceived in yourself that if sometimes you pick up a disguise that you know is a disguise and you mask yourself with something that might look like God, at least in your opinion. You clothe yourself with your own righteousness, which is not righteousness at all, but you think it looks like God. It's a deception to yourself and to others. But as the text says, your end will correspond to your deeds. Whoever your father is truly and spiritually, you're going to reflect your father. The Son of God appeared, why? To do away with sin, not to make sin permissible. So then tell me, what does your life look like? Given the fact that it's Easter Sunday and we are celebrating the resurrected Lord. Celebrating what? Our adoption as children of God. And so what are you doing with that great love? What are you doing as a child of God? What does your life look like now? I'm continually every day trying to look more and more and more like my father who loves me. That's what my life looks like. He ends on verse 10. At least our time will end on verse 10 today. So look at it with me. And by this it is evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? There you go. There's the two households. You see them? See the two families? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, matter of fact, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Why love of the brother? Well, if you've been with us, you know why. Because he, keeps, he loves to tell us that. If you, don't, if you don't love other believers, love in what way? In, in the way that he loved us. Giving of yourself for their sake. Caring for them. And how do we love and care for them? By encouraging them, by meeting with them by knowing what's going on in their life, by holding them accountable to the truth of God's word because I don't want you to stay in your sin just like our Father doesn't want you to stay in sin. That's how I love you. You see, I don't love you by making your sin permissible. I love you by helping you in any way I can conform to the image of our Father. Because you know your family, you know the members of your family and you care for them. I love our church family. You love me and you care for me. You support me. And I'm doing everything I can to love and care and support you. But we must not, in light of Easter, 
make our gatherings like a social club because that makes a mockery of Easter Sunday. But instead we love one another as he loved us and wants us to be transformed into the image of the Father. And that's why we must consider over and over and over and over again what has the Father said to us. We want to know what the Father has said so we might be more like Him, which is why we must continue. We must, no matter what other churches are doing, no matter what songs they're singing, no matter what is going on around, we have to continue. We must continue in the Word. We must continue in the Word of the Father. It is His Word that we must live and breathe and sing and pray and teach and live in it. That's what we have to do. Why? In light of Easter Sunday. That's why. In light of the cross, in light of our adoption as children, I want to encourage you this morning, stay true to the word. Sing it. Know it. Love it. Why? Not to earn favor with the Father. Christ did that for you. It's not about earning it. It's about trusting in the righteousness that is yours by faith and wanting with all your heart to be like the Father and to love his children while we're here. And we look for his coming back. Why? Because when we see him, we will be changed entirely to be like him. And we hope for that day and we trust in it.